0: You're listening to the Long Game podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Skyano. When I read, or as often is the case, listen to a book, I am certainly into it for the content. But the way my mind works is to also enjoy and analyze how the book is set up. A good book for me wraps me into the author's story as well as gives me the goods. You know that actionable info. Now, I love to look at how the book unfolds, how a business book utilizes the space for both storytelling and teaching. Miriam Shulman's Artpreneur book hit all the notes for me, and I'm thrilled to have her here as a guest today. We start our conversation talking about thought distortions, you know, those thoughts that we have as creatives and business owners. Those are the thoughts that are not facts, but we totally give them credence. Throughout our conversation, we pop back into the concept and mention thought distortions because they show up as we navigate our path in so many ways. Miriam shares about community building, there are two kinds, and how to get in sync with the future of marketing. It isn't social media. She says what we all are feeling here and what to do instead. And we talk about the importance of celebrating your wins, or as Miriam terms it, imprinting your wins. This is one mindset shift that will serve you in every aspect of your life and business. So stop blaming your boots and keep taking inspired action. The long game is staying inspired with artpreneur author, Miriam Shulman. In a world where everyone is doing, it's easy to get lost in a sea of comparison, secret tricks, and promises of overnight success. The long game, that's my approach to business. You gotta show up, you gotta do the work, and there are no quick fixes for long-term success. It takes creativity, it takes strategy, and it takes listening to the voice inside you. I'm a web designer, digital strategist, and energetic thinker, bringing you real-world business-building experiences, conversations with creators who are out there doing it now, and ideas to spark the energy in your own business. And Along the way, we're going to have a little bit of fun as well. So thanks for being here and let's get to today's episode. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Today's guest is an artist, author, and host of the Inspiration Place Podcast. She's helped Thousands of creatives around the world develop their skill sets and create more time and freedom to do what they love, which is what we all want, right? Our time back. Her signature coaching program, The Artist Incubator, teaches artists to go from so-so sales to sold-out collections. After witnessing 9-11, she abandoned a lucrative hedge fund to become a full-time thriving working artist. She has been featured in major publications, including Forbes, Entrepreneur, and the New York Times. And her artwork has been featured in NBC's Parenthood and the Amazon series Hunters with Al Pacino. And now her book with HarperCollins' leadership, Artpreneur, provides actionable steps to turn your creative ideas into a thriving business. Please welcome to the podcast, Miriam Shulman. Well, hey there. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited for you to be here and I do just want to completely plug your book Artpreneur. It is so good and I love the way that you weave your story in with these real world actions to help businesses grow and provide these examples. I have the audiobook version and you know you've edited in actual segments from your podcast, quotes from your guest direct from those conversations. So everyone, you need to go out and get this book. So I was immediately drawn to the concept you open your book with, which is you've been told you're too loud, too ethnic, but part of being an artist is owning your artistic voice with no apologies, right?
1: Yeah. And what's so funny, Sandra, is that even in the writing of the book, I had to remind myself of that because there is one section in the book where I talk about how You have to keep your email marketing kosher, meaning use a legal email service provider. And I don't know how sophisticated your audience is, but a lot of my audience who are artists, they, they still don't understand that, like why they can't just send an email out with BCC or have their... Right. Website have an automated thing whenever they put in a blog post and they, you know, they have something on the bottoms that says, if you want to stop sending it, just email me back. And I have to explain to them, like, no, no, that doesn't work. Anyway, the point of the story is so I had this thing, keep your email marketing kosher. And my first developmental editor who happens to be Jewish and happens to be from the New York area had a comment that said, I don't think everyone's going to know what this is. I think you should <laughs> rephrase it. So, the first time I got that comment, I was like, first of all, I didn't really care for her because in my mind, she was this evil critic that was like, tore my whole book apart. So, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to do that. And then it came back from copy editing, and the copy editor, different person, different editor, said, I don't know what this means. Please rephrase this. So, oh, I went back and I I was very annoyed that I would have to explain what kosher meant, and I did, I did in that version, and then right before, so you get many chances to edit your book, actually, but as it gets closer and closer to publication, less things you can do. So I put in into something where I explain what kosher is, but I had to add some snarky comment, like, For those who have never seen a Seinfeld episode and don't know what this means and never heard of it because you're clueless, you know, it was like a very like passive aggressive way of putting it in. And then right before it was the third pass, it was my last chance to make edits. I took out the entire explanation of what kosher meant. I let's keep it kosher in the book, but I took out what it meant. And of course, the publisher put a, an end note into the book that like defines what kosher means for their readers from middle america who don't i guess don't know what it means but the point is is that and i had to struggle with this it was like my whole point of the book is that you shouldn't water yourself down so why should i water down my writing you know why should i take out ethnic references that define me and that wasn't the only instance there was another editor who felt i had too many harry potter references it was like well I'm weird and my readers are going to be weird and I'm leaving it in and I don't understand every Game of Thrones reference. So they will have to put up understand. with my Harry Potter references and that's all there is to it. You know, <laughs>
0: there are so many, we all like to pull on our pop culture references. There's a ton of memes where I'm like, I don't understand why that memes in an email to me right now.
1: That's right. Um, right. But it think think it's, the it's okay. We don't have to understand everything. And there's something called Google to help you. <laughs> and, and also chat GPT now. So. No, seriously.
0: But I love that whole concept because so many of us have been told we're loud, we're impulsive, all of those things. And it's really like, I, you know, you've got to embrace that piece of That's you. That's right.
1: And at a certain point, like, so my husband right now is struggling with high blood pressure and he's asked me to be less argumentative. And that's like telling Estelle Costanza to cool it. And he like, you know who you're married to, right? This is like, this is going to be very challenging to not argue. Like <laughs> It's like my way of being. So
0: I love that example because it is so true. Your husbands are, you know, your partners are always looking like, why are you yelling at me? Like, well, it's like I'm not even I'm yelling. yelling. I'm like, I'm like, I don't yelling understand. <laughs> I'm just excited. Exactly. Realize. I'm like, I either yell or ignore. There's exactly no there's no
1: there's no modulation here. Yeah, and, no modulation. and why is this a surprise to you? Like we've been married 30 years. Like, yeah. aren't you used to me by now? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> totally.
0: But that like backs into a whole concept that you bring up in your book about thought distortions. And I want to dig into this a little bit as the you know, as we lay some groundwork for our conversation later to come. So can you go into what those are and how they they work within our lives?
1: Yeah, sure. And before we even go any further, I do want to say that, so I'm 54 now, and it's taken me a long time to reach that place where I'm very peaceful with who I am. Because even 10 years ago, when I first started teaching online art classes, and the people who I saw leading in that space that I was aware of, at least, were all from the Midwest, they were all blonde, they didn't talk like me, they didn't look like me, they weren't Jewish, and I thought I did have to tone everything down or I would alienate people, and it took a long time for me to reach this point. So here is where you, you wanted me to go into thought distortion. Our brains have evolved for survival, not goal achievement, So anytime we're doing something that's uncomfortable or in the case where we feel very different than other people, we're not part of the tribe, that is a survival instinct. So anything, we're going to do something where we feel that we're doing something different, either different than we've done before or different than other people, our fear is going to kick in. That is a survival mechanism. It's there to protect us from leaving the cave and getting eaten by a tiger. So... (laughs) (laughs) Every time you do something uncomfortable, fear kicks in. What happens with our brains is our brains will come up with all kinds of stories about why this new uncomfortable thing you want to do, whether that's selling your art, putting a new website out, putting a social media post up that's more personal and vulnerable, whatever it is, your brain will come up with all kinds of stories about why this is a terrible idea, just terrible And the smarter you are and the more creative you are, the better you'll be at coming up with those bullshit stories. Are we allowed to say bullshit on your show? Yeah, of course. Okay, Those Um, bullshit stories. So we don't perceive those stories, though, as excuses we perceive them as facts. They don't feel like excuses. They feel true to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So some of the things that if you're going to be selling and that's a very uncomfortable thing, you might be thinking, oh, it's not a good time to sell right now. It's a pandemic. right? Or there's a recession looming or Mm -hmm. there's been an earthquake in Turkey. These things are really thought distortions because they sound true. But they really aren't. They're not facts. They're not provable. They're either all or nothing thinking, like nobody is buying art right now. Nobody's buying right now. Really? Okay. Or they are fortune telling. Nobody is going to do this thing. Or they are mind reading. Like if I'm trying to sell to you, Sarah, oh, she won't pay prices. She won't pay my high prices. She won't want to pay that for my package or whatever yeah, it is that it is you're selling. That's right. So you are thinking for them. So all or nothing thinking, mind reading and fortune telling are three of the main kinds of thought distortions. And this is all comes from cognitive behavioral therapy. And this was the work of Dr. Aaron Beck, who passed away last year. He lived to 100. This is all his work. And a lot of life coaches use this work packaged in different ways and they rebrand it and make it their own which is fine i've no i don't have a problem with that but just know this all comes from cognitive behavior therapy
0: yeah and i think it's so interesting because one of the things we talk about is the need for building a community you know as artists as creatives as business owners you know we need to create some kind of community around our work and what we do and those thought distortions prevent us from doing that prevent us from connecting or prevent us from doing it in a way that's genuine so i think you know those are an interesting relational piece and i want to talk more about that like we need to build community so how does that go how does that you know in terms of artists in terms of creative entrepreneurs you know what are some of the steps that you're recommending in building community
1: Yeah. So there's really, there's two types of communities that we can talk about. And one of the most powerful things you could do to help with those thought distortions is build your own creative community around you, your peers, your mentors, because the more you see people doing that thing that you think is scary and you see they don't die from it, the easier it'll be for you to do it. And this is exactly what one of my clients told me. Like she said, because she's, in my highest level artist incubator mastermind level of the program. And she said the most helpful thing is like, she actually sees that people are doing what she's scared to do and they do it and they come back and they have a success and they don't die. And I see that over and over and over again. So it's really important for us as business people, especially women to surround yourself with other women who are doing these brave things because Women have been conditioned to play small. Minorities have been conditioned to play it small because it just isn't safe to do these things. We're not encouraged to be loud. Mm-hmm. We're encouraged to take up as little space as possible. How do we know this? The diet industry, like you have to be small. It's not it, it's, it's not correct for us to take up room and we're to take up space with our bodies and with our words and with our actions. So all these things translate to us being mediocre. Us striving just for mediocrity because we are taught it is wrong to desire power. It is wrong to take up space. It is wrong to desire money.
0: And I think even in a a non-creative business, you have to share your values. You have to take a stance. Sometimes in a creative business, it's easier to say, oh, I'm creating art on a Political, or there's a theme, or there's something along those lines. But I think sharing your values in any type of business across the board also really helps you to develop that community. We, you know, again, with the thought distortions of I'm alienating people, it's not about that. It's about drawing the people in who you're creating provocative work for.
1: Yes. So if you're talking about building your audience, so that's the other, that's why I said there's two types of community, the community that you need to have around you to support yourself and lift yourself up. And then there's the the audience that you build for your products, for your services. And just know that when you don't share your values, you're sharing that your value is opacity, that you're not being transparent. And there's a lot of people who don't like people who aren't transparent. So no matter what, you are sharing values, whether you think you are or not. You're always sharing a value. You are. are, So just be careful that, and this is what I say in artpreneur, that you share the values that you want people to know are your values because they will make assumptions either way. And by you not sharing something, they will assume something about you that may or may not be true. So alienate people for the right reasons. Yeah, I love that. And I love the
0: idea too, of in sharing your values, you're bringing who you really are out. It makes it so much easier to share your story, connect. That is one of the things I loved about your book, how you were able to weave in your personal story in so many different places because you're transparent about it. You're putting it out there in so many ways. And that is a way to really connect with your audience.
1: That's right. Because like I was saying before, it's not about them having the exact same values as you do either. You shouldn't even have to worry about that. So people are going to read my book and say, oh my God, she's a Harry Potter nerd. But that gives them permission to be whatever nerd they are in their life. Maybe they don't like Harry Potter. Maybe they like Game of Thrones. Maybe they don't like those, what what are they called? Fantasy, you know, land stuff. (laughs) They're being nerd about something else. So it's like by you being your authentic self, you're giving your... People permission to be their authentic self.
0: Yeah, that really comes through in what you do and when you are putting yourself out there in a genuine way. All right, so I want to talk to you know and move into some tactical pieces of, of things. Like, how are we? I mean, I love when you say the future of marketing, you got to get in sync with the future of marketing, and it is not social media. So, how are we? to build this audience, to build this community. You know, we are also reliant on social media in a number of ways. But is it still working the way it did a year ago
1: yeah. or two no, years ago? Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, like Facebook, dead. Facebook groups are dead. But here's the thing, like, it's not the algorithm. We're blaming the algorithm. I'm not using the apps the way I used to. I used to always go into different Facebook groups that, you know, of other professionals. I don't go there anymore. I don't, I'm just don't. I forget. I don't care. The only reason I'm on Instagram at all is because I'm interacting with my community there, but I try not to consume content. And one thing I discovered, I don't know if this, I would love to hear other people's experience with this because I don't know if it's just my people, but I have 25,000 followers on Instagram. And I thought one of my strategies for promoting the book was inviting people to do uh, Instagram lives with me. It used to be it went into both people's news feeds and it stayed there. But what was happening is I ended, up, I ended up canceling about half of them. What was happening is I would go to do the Instagram live. And right when you go to hit the plus right before you scroll through to get that Instagram live ready and anyone listening can do this, it will tell you. How many of your followers are on the platform?
0: Yes, at that time. At that time.
1: Okay. So I don't know, Sandra, if you already heard, if you know the answer to this, if you already heard me say this on another podcast, but out of 25,000 people that are following me, how many would you guess are on the platform at any given time? I didn't hear it. And this is a guess, 100 Never. It was never even a hundred. The most I ever had was like sixty-five people, wow. and that's not. And let's be clear, that's not tuning into your live. Yep, that is that's on the platform.
0: <laughs> that's tuning into someone else's live. And, and, no, or no, they're just scrolling, or maybe right? they're done with it,
1: or they're messaging yeah. their, their sister, or they're looking at a cat video. I don't know what they're doing. So I know what I do on there. I, I I send cat videos to my daughter. That's what we do on Instagram. So, you know, they're not, you know, they, that, that is, so I was getting maybe 15 people live. It's like, okay, this is not worth my time because in the 15 minutes that I'm spending with somebody and preparing to do it, if I do a podcast, I get like 2000, 3000 downloads. Why would I want to do this Instagram thing for 20 people that disappears? Yeah. Completely. But, you know, it disappear- I mean, it's there, but it disappears onto the feed and it's like, no one goes back to it again. So I don't think people are on the platform as much as they used to be like what they were during the pandemic.
0: Uh-huh. Well, of course everyone now, you know, back in our lives, a number of different pieces. So what are you doing instead then? What are your methods for engagement? Building an audience, building a community.
1: Yeah. And I even, and just to keep beating the same dead horse, like even with reels, okay, so there's so much emphasis on reels and TikToks. And anyone who's ever consumed that content, no, I call it the death of the scroll. Before you even get to the end of watching that video, it's already pushing up to get you to consume the next one. So I've had reels where thousands of with thousands of downloads and no one visiting my profile. So what I do instead is email. And I found this particularly true when I'm promoting something or when I'm an affiliate for somebody, you can clock or track exactly how many opt-ins are coming from social media versus Mm -hmm. email. And it's not even close. I mean, it's like a handful from social media versus hundreds and thousands from my email list. Of course, I do have a big email list, but here's the thing. So let me put into numbers so that everyone can understand. The average engagement rate on Instagram when I started writing my book was 1%. When I went back to edit it, it had dropped. It had dropped to 0.6%. And that was in early 2022. We can probably assume that it has sunk even further. Now, what about Instagram influencers, Sandra? Those people who are teaching us how to like get more engagement. What, yes, how are they, they doing? Them. <laughs> right? They want, they're, they're asking us for money to learn their secrets. Okay. Totally. The average Instagram influencer, and again, this number comes from the spring of 2022. The average Instagram influencer is 1.12%. That means out of a thousand people, that's 11 people that are engaging with your content. Now, what about email? On email, and we're going to talk averages again, the average open rate is 25%, yep. 25%. So out of a thousand people, that's 250 people who are going to open and see your message. But here's the biggest difference, Sandra, is that the person who is on Instagram versus the person on email in email, they choose If they're going to open your email on Instagram, the algorithm chooses if they're even going to see it. A hundred percent.
0: But you know, then here's the question that I know my audience is asking right now. How do you build that list? How do you get them? You know, Instagram has the people. If we're using Instagram as the platform or Facebook has the people, how are you building that audience to get on your email list?
1: Okay. So there's three ways to build your audience. There is, and there's really only three ways, and there's always only been three ways, whether pre-social media, post-social media. So the first way I call your universe, that's everyone you come into contact with. And that includes your organic social media. That includes if you have a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, it includes every time you go to the grocery store, your friends, anytime you interact with real people in real time, in real life, that's your universe. The second place is other people's universes. So this is like earned publicity, like what I'm doing right now and talking to your listeners. So that is the second way. You get guest blog posting, you're a podcast guest, any kind of PR, things like that. Okay. And then the third way is paid advertising. And there's only been three ways. (laughs) And there will only be three ways. So that's it. So what am I doing now? Yes, I do paid advertising. I encourage my artists. So I don't know how many in your community are creative, but going out into the world in real life, you will have the best sales and the best connections. And this is across all industries. That's where you'll find your best customers.
0: Definitely. And we talk about that as, you know, we bring a lot of creative thinking to what we do in our businesses. But also just, I mean, I built my business, multiple six-figure business on in-person networking. You know, like I feel like a lot of what that old business, those are just true threads that come through. So go out and meet people, get referrals, get them to know you, show up. All of those pieces also still work. We've, you know, had a kink with COVID and two years kind of sitting on the sidelines, so to speak. And we have to remind people to get back out there.
1: That's right. And it's not just about going out there to find customers. It's going out there to build relationships with people, whether they're your customers, whether they turn out to be a collaborator, like what we're doing right now. So I have always invested in my relationships and I put aside time to invest in my relationships. And this shows up in many different ways. I invite people for group dinners, group lunches. When I want to be on somebody's podcast, I'll usually invite them to mine first. You know, I will invest and give them value before I ever ask for anything. And I'm not doing it with an agenda to ask for anything, but the more connections you have, Really, your net worth is your network. It's just, it's so true. And it's very important to, like we were talking about surrounding yourself with that community, investing in surrounding yourself with community, you will build a bigger audience for your own things.
0: A hundred percent. And I would like to add to that. We talk here a lot about, it makes the process joyful as well. When you have relationships, you are connecting and you are going deeper than you could on social media alone in person, right? And so the reason why we do this is for joy. You know, the reason why we do this is to express ourselves, to earn a living, yes, but there's got to be a joy piece in it to continue. So another piece I want to talk about with you is, and, and this relates into that whole email marketing piece, is the whole content creation piece for creatives and business owners. You know, I know you've got a saying, goal getting, not goal setting, which I love you know, because we've got to create content. We've got to plan it out. We've got to figure, you know, it's a whole machine or how do we not, how do we get away from it being a machine? In that way?
1: I would first of all, cut down the content you're creating for social media, like look very carefully at what kind of return are you getting? Social media has made it very addicting for us, not just as consumers of the social media, but producers. Like, oh, how many likes did I get on this? Yeah. How many views did I get on this? You have to look at as how much money did you make from that? Mm-hmm. And people don't look at that as carefully. Like, how many email subscribers did I really get from that? And that was like the biggest wake-up call for me. Like I said, when I was an affiliate and I made this reel and there was like thousands of views and I even paid extra money to have it, you know, shown and I didn't get opt-ins because I was actually had like a special link to track. I wasn't even getting clicks. So it was like, okay. And then I had emails, So I was like, all right, I'll just send more emails out because this is what's getting me my leads. And this is what's making me money. And I rather put the effort into that because creating that content, it's very time consuming. So either you're going to spend the time doing it or you're going to pay somebody to do it. And that's an investment in your money and your time. So how else can you do it? What can you do differently? One of the things, and you asked me, well, how do people find and make sales without social media? One thing that I really encourage people to do is, it's so old school, but it really works, and that is snail mail.
0: Yeah. Tell us more about that. So how are you getting, you know, how you're building your list and asking them for their physical address at the same time? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Sometimes. It depends. But- one of the things that I've used it for, and I'm going to give several examples. So obviously, as somebody who sells artwork, I collect their physical addresses. Let me send you an invitation to my next event. I can promise you that people showing up, they're clutching those invitations. Yeah. People don't do this anymore. And if you're relying on email, there's a spam filter. I mean, I had a, a book launch event where I used paperless post because I thought, okay, this will be easier. It's not easier. And it's not less expensive because so many of those emails just went right into people's spam folder. They didn't even see it.
0: Where's this paperless post coming from? You have to fight for that attention in their
1: inbox as well. That's right. And I would have been much better served had I taken the time and it was not cheaper anyway. Those paperless posts, by the time you add in all the doodads you want to just send out the physical thing. So there's that. But I've also used it in the online space. So... I've sent out save-the-date postcards for webinars with the URL on it. I don't send it to everybody on my list. I right. send it to people who maybe who have bought a product for me. And then I have their physical mailing addresses either through PayPal or they've given it to me in the checkout process. Because you don't want to send it out to everybody. You want it to send it out to a customer that maybe you are giving the Ascension model to. And then, Sandra, I've even turned my sales pages into a physical booklet and sent that that out. And it has paid for the cost of the printing and the postage. And I have made sales that way. So that sort of thing, you know, it depends what you're selling, of course, but these go across all industries, these methods, whether you're selling, selling a digital product or a physical product or a service.
0: And it goes back to what you were saying about relationship building, right? You are segmenting your audience in this and giving it to these people who have purchased before or these people you have a relationship with and how special people feel getting
1: something in the mail from, you know, from you specifically. That's right. That's right. And there's, there's something magical about having an envelope addressed to the person. And tell us the tip that even with postcards, you use an envelope. Oh yes, yes, yes. So <laughs> I do, I print this on a postcard. I use both sides, first of all, because there's real estate, but also because I want it in the postcard in an envelope because you don't want it to be sent with the third class mail. If the postcard gets sent with all the junk mail, then they may not even see it. So a envelope addressed to the person, you pay a little extra for the postage. It's completely worth it. And those postcards, those physical pieces of mail, they sit around people's homes. Like when you scroll through the inbox, either they see it, they don't see it, they delete it, they don't delete it. It's gone. It's buried into the digital pile. Something that's sitting on your kitchen counter or that stays for a few days or if you're disorganized like me, it's, it's there quite a long time.
0: Yeah. And you save those things as well. I mean, I That's have right. things on my desk and you know, things like that, that are reminders of things that you want to have in your life or what you want more of in your life as well. So those things become little reminders to you as well. So one of the things you talk about too in Artpreneur is a lot of mindset pieces. And I guess this also relates back, we're going to circle back to some of those thought distortions in a way, but like it ties into everything we're talking about. It was like keeping your focus on what's going right. You know, it's so easy to say, oh, no one signed up or that didn't work. It's keeping positive. And also, you know, we've heard this before in, in other instances of becoming detached from the outcome.
1: Yeah, so one thing that I think is super important, there, there's a few things here. And this is why we, t- we talked in the beginning about community. The community you surround yourself with is important because you need a place where you can celebrate your wins. As humans, again, we've evolved to have a negativity bias. If you have a negativity bias, there's nothing wrong with you. We've all evolved that way because it's a survival mechanism that you remember something that went wrong so you won't do it again. The problem is that we don't have a mechanism for really celebrating our wins and what I call imprinting your wins. And the research has shown that it really takes a good 10 seconds to think about a win and let that settle in. So it's really important if to become part of a group that encourages you to celebrate your wins because that is motivating, that is positive energy. So sometimes within my artist incubator, well, not sometimes. Oh, so every, every single time we get together, the first thing I ask them to do is tell me your wins for the week. Mm-hmm. And if an artist has trouble doing that, I actually give them homework. I say, okay, for ev- now every day you have to write down your wins at the end of the day. Because we do forget. And they'll be able to say, oh, no, nothing good happened. And that's not, that's never the case. Right. A hundred percent. So like forcing them to actually think and write it down. And I have In insight. register that
0: that was a good thing that happened register that rather than negativity.
1: So you had mentioned before we hit record to talk about why I have both a physical and and a digital planner. And one of the things that I love about having a physical planner is I put a, a little column that says my wins. And when I have wins, I write them down. Oh, I love that idea. So Whenever you're having a day that's kind of gloomy, like today, it's kind of cloudy out here in New York City. I know where you are in New Jersey too. So think about your wins. And when you write them down, it helps you imprint them. When you tell somebody, it helps. And it everybody likes that much better than somebody who complains. Now, we've been conditioned to... Again, this is like the playing small piece, not to brag. Who's been taught not to brag? But people actually prefer, if, if Sandra, if you were to say to me, how was your day? And I says, "Ugh, so bad. Certainly. I almost stepped in dog poop three times on the way here. And there was a rat got run over by a car. And blah, 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 blah. You know, now you're in a bad mood too. But if, I, if you said, same question. I said, Oh, well, you know, it was, it's a cloudy day, but the, it was so beautiful seeing the fog come off the Henry Hutts. same as that day, but now I'm focusing on what, what went right. And I, I got a, you know, I got my workout in this morning, just in time to see you not complaining. Oh, I, I didn't have time to do, you know, whatever my legs today, you know, but so, <laughs> The thing is, it's like, not only does it cheer you up to think about what went right, but it helps the other person and people are attracted to that positive energy. I'm not talking about toxic positivity. Right. Okay. Totally. That's not what we're talking about. But if you focus more on what went right, focus on the gains rather than the gap, focus on celebrating those wins, it is motivating.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, not only for the, External piece, the internal piece of that, right? You know, both like, for yourself. You know, right, there's that external, and but the I, other person
1: you're talking to. It's for both.
0: Yeah, it's for yourself and writing your your head on your shoulders of like, all right, I can keep going forward. You know, we um, I had a, a message with someone right before I hopped on about it's about consistency, right? No matter what you're doing, and you're not going to stay the course if it's all negative right it goes back to that idea of joy we do this for joy there has to we have to enjoy what we're doing i have to love what i'm talking about i have to love doing this podcast it's a lot of freaking work to produce this every single week and come out with not only interviews but my own content my solo episodes i love that like i leave i'm i'm jazzed up so we have to have good from it And so there has to be good from all of these pieces that we do. And if we're just focusing on the negative, you're not going to stay consistent. You know, you're not going to keep doing things there.
1: Yeah. And then the way I end the chapter, uh, the book, so the chapter we're talking about with, it's called Stay Inspired, where I talk about how to not just set goals, but how to actually get the goals and celebrating your wins is one of the strategies I provide. But the chapter after that is called keep marching forward because as you said, sometimes you're taking the right actions and you're not quite getting the results you want. And what a lot of people want to do is I call blame their boots. So that's blaming the circumstance. Oh, it's a pandemic. It's a recession. There's an earthquake in Turkey. There's whatever. And it's not about your boots. You have to keep marching forward and keep taking inspired action. Keep taking those actions. And when things don't work, that's when you get creative. Creativity at its core, it's a survival strategy. How can you make something work now? Yeah, okay, Instagram's not working the way it used to. What can we do next? Mm -hmm. What's now? Should we send out an extra email? Should we send out a physical postcard? Should I start doing speaking engagements? Can I speak at my local community center? What can I do next to move this forward if what was working in the past isn't working anymore?
0: Yeah, I love that idea too because it it takes away those obstacles as well. Because there is always another way to do something. There's, I hate that term, more than one way to skin a cat, right? Or more than one way to climb the mountain, let's say. Uh, but. You can take it from multiple ways. And that type of thought process really removes those obstacles and allows you to keep moving forward. So I also want to encourage everyone to go to your website. We're going to have links in the show notes to shulmanart.com. But if you go to shulmanart.com slash believe, you will get a free chapter to Artpreneur and be able to check that out and be inspired. You can also go to shulmanart.com slash biz and learn more about the incubator program that Miriam has. So there is a lot to dive into and you can always check out her art as well. Miriam, thank you so much for being here today. I love the real conversation. I love you bringing you all of it. I love your New York. I'm here for
1: it. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. This was super fun.
0: All right, everyone. We will see you next week. Thanks for joining me today. You can access more information, links mentioned in this episode and the show notes at thelonggamepodcast.net. If today's show connected with you in some way, please share it with your friends or hop on and leave a review. Both of these make a really big difference. All right, until next time, keep playing the long game.